This episode is sponsored by Vulture, high-performance cloud compute, bare metal, and storage in 25 locations all over the world. Sign up and get $200 free credit to use in 30 days at getvultr.com slash L-A-D. Hello and welcome to episode 19 of Linux After Dark. I'm Joe. I'm Chris. I'm Gary. And I'm Dalton. Welcome back, chaps. Before we get started, I just want to say thank you to Brianna for updating the Python visualizer thing. Having heard us talking about it, got a message on Mastodon, had a bit of a conversation, and now there's a version of the old version that works perfectly on Ubuntu 20.04. So it turns out that if you complain about things long enough on a podcast, someone will fix it. Words to live by. <laughs> Let's get straight back into the challenge. So if you haven't heard episode 18, the challenge was to get your oldest bit of hardware and do something useful with it, ideally involving Linux. Dalton didn't quite get the memo on the Linux part last time, but we forgave him. So Gary, what hardware have you got, and what did you do with it? So I started off with using a ThinkPad X41 for this, which is a Pentium M 1.3 or 1.4 gigahertz, something around there with half a gig of RAM, and installed Debian on it, and discovered that it was nowhere near low end enough for me to win this challenge, quite frankly. <laughs> so I had a rethink, had a look through the, the cupboard of PCs and among 286 and various other things, which are clearly far too old. I found a Dell Dimension T500, which is a 500 megahertz slot one Pentium 3, <laughs> 192 megafram. <laughs> Decided that was probably the the closest machine that I was going to get to do anything useful with. There was also a Pentium 2 in there, uh, aforementioned 286 and some other stuff, but that, that all seemed far too old to do something useful with. So, went down a rabbit hole of trying to burn a Debian net install CD, which is harder than it seems these days. But got Debian 11 32-bit installed on there. Yeah, no problems. I did get a weird message in the installer, though, which I put in our little group chat, which was Debian getting very angry with me that there wasn't enough RAM in the 192 megs of RAM this machine has to do the install. So I had to manually load some of the modules, like the network module, extended four file system module, because if not, there was no way it was installing. So yeah, that was a little strange, but after some gritted teeth in about two hours, uh, managed to get a functional Debian install on the machine. So I guess the ace I have up my sleeve is that for work, I have a machine that I SSH into that I've got a pretty decent headless setup going on. So I thought I can probably replicate most of that on this Pentium 3 machine. So I installed Biobu, which is like a terminal multiplexer, so it does similar things to Tmux or Screen. It's got quite a nice user interface to it, some reasonably sane defaults in terms of key bindings, um, and it can do like status indicators at the bottom if you install it on a laptop. It can do battery status and network status, all that kind of stuff. So I got Biobo installed, which was just relatively straightforward, and got to work. So the task that I decided I was going to do is rewrite the Terraform that I use to build my personal infrastructure. It's become a bit of a mess, and it seemed like something that I could do relatively distraction-free on a text-only interface. So yeah, fired up VI, got a lot of that rewritten, but then I needed to reference the Terraform docs. 
Now, aside from using one of the popular command line browsers like an animal with no JavaScript and image rendering and stuff, I came across a project called Browsh or Browsh, which is a really cool project. And effectively what it does is it uses Firefox in the back end to render web pages and it kind of renders the images as ASCII art and stuff. And it's super useful for reading docs and I use it occasionally at work if I just need to read something and want a terminal in full screen not to be distracted. So I went down this rabbit hole of trying to get Browse running on this 500 megahertz Pentium 3. <laughs> so I thought, right, the first thing we're going to need is Firefox. And for that, I'm probably going to need X. So I installed Xorg and installed Firefox ESR. That installed fine, and I could do a start X space Firefox and get <laughs> Firefox opening. <laughs> and as an aside, I also got Thunderbird running with this as well. So I just switched between TTYs to use uh, Thunderbird. You know, there's this really cool new feature in window managers. I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's virtual desktops. <laughs> I think you've reinvented it. So I had Thunderbird running. Um, couldn't get Browse running, though, because it requires SSE2 instruction set on the cpu which this pentium 3 didn't have and this is sort of where things started to go downhill a bit for me with the pentium 3 machine because there was a lot of stuff that i needed to run that was 64-bit there was some stuff that wouldn't run because it needed sse2 so i took a leaf out of joe's book and thought you know what if joe can use a second machine slash phone slash tablet then i'm going to do the same thing so I pulled out an old chromebook that i had which was an Acer CB131, which is just an 11-inch Chromebook with a really weak Baytrail Celeron. I got the same Debian headless setup running on it after having to remove the firmware screw and flash all of the firmware and stuff on it. But did the same Debian headless setup on there, set it aside in the corner and continued with my Pentium 3 machine that was hooked up to my display and keyboard and just SSH into it to run Browsh and then did all of my Terraform deploys just via an SSH session from the old Chromebook. So end result was I could check my email. I managed to redeploy my entire infrastructure on AWS, including all of the Terraform and all of the Ansible and stuff. Rewrote all of the Terraform on the Pentium 3 machine. And it was useful. Could I have done this on my other machine? Could I have just done it on the Chromebook? Probably. But I guess the spirit of it was do something useful with the oldest machine you can find. So, yeah, it was pretty productive. You installed a web coprocessor in your Pentium 3 machine. I mean, yeah, I guess I did. I guess I did. <laughs> Obviously used, uh, used the 64-bit machine to run Terraform and stuff as well, because there's no 32-bit builds of that. But yeah, it, it all worked absolutely fine. It's a Terraform coprocessor too. It was, it was, yeah. And I, I sat at the desk with the Pentium 3 machine connected via a DVI to HDMI adapter to the 1440p <laughs> display all day, and it was absolutely fine. See, now what you have to do is just stick the Chromebook into the case of the Pentium 3 and just shove it in there, and it's one computer. Oh, there's there's room in there. It would have fit, and I could have just yeah. fed the power cable through a slot blank or something. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You do realize that you could have won this challenge probably just by getting to the point where you could SSH out of the Pentium 3 machine into your existing headless setup. I mean, I could, but I wanted to use the two lowest-end machines that I could find that were suitable for the task. So I did and caused myself much pain, but also repurposed the Chromebook, which was end of life because I can now put other distros on that, play around with it, I guess. 
Exactly how many old laptops have you got, Gary? Like, I've got some old laptops, but not like 286s. The 286 is a desktop, so I've got... Oh, well, yeah, of course. Yeah, I've got three old desktop machines. So I've got this uh, Dimension Pentium 3 machine that I used. There's a Pentium 2 desktop machine, which I use... Well, I say use. It sits in the cupboard, but it's got Windows 98 on it. And occasionally I'll pull it out and play a game of SimCity 2000 or something. (laughs) Uh, And there's a 286, which I need to get an ISA GPU for. But those are rare as hen's teeth. Aren't some of these machines older than you? The 286 definitely is, yeah. The Pentium 2 machine is a machine I've had growing up. So I've had that machine since I was a kid. It's a Patriot-branded Pentium 2 machine. But yeah, in terms of laptops, there's there's a whole mix. There's The oldest one is a Toshiba satellite with a Pentium 133 in. There's everything from that up to some more modern stuff like the ThinkPads and the Chromebook and stuff. But they're just all in a drawer in the spare room. So you should probably use them or wait until they're worth something and sell them, to be honest. Or just recycle them, man. Yeah, but then I wouldn't have had a machine to use for this challenge. Yeah, that's kind of my (laughs) logic as well. Well, I think you may have won the challenge, but we'll have to see how Chris got on. Okay, this episode is sponsored by Collide. Go to K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash L-A-D to sign up today. Collide sends employees important, timely, and relevant security recommendations for their Linux, Mac, and Windows devices right inside Slack. Collide is perfect for organizations that care deeply about compliance and security, but don't want to get there by locking down devices to the point where they become unusable. Instead of frustrating your employees, Collide educates them about security and device management while directing them to fix important problems. Collide helps deal with some of the many issues that are not solved by locking down devices, like instructing developers to set passphrases on unencrypted SSH keys, finding plain text two-factor backup codes and teaching end users how to store them securely, and convincing employees to uninstall evil browser extensions that may sell their browser history. You can try Collide with all its features on an unlimited number of devices, free for 14 days, no credit card required. Try it out at collide.com lad. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash L-A-D. So then, Chris, what did you use? So I was digging through my drawers and uh, the oldest machine I've got, because that was the stipulation, is from 2009, but it is a netbook and it's not even a good netbook. It has an Atom N270, which is 1.6 gigahertz, but... It's got no power whatsoever, and it's 32-bit as well. The machine has two gigs of RAM, which is the maximum it can take. It's still got spinning rust in, though. And 32-bit these days, I wanted to put something that was current, not a distro that's frozen in time, that works well for the hardware back in the day. And these days, you've got Debian, SUSE, Tumbleweed was another option. So I tried to boot SUSE, in fact, and it just hung I went to TTY and it just had loads of Dracut stuff. And I was like, "Mm, I'm not going to fix this. I don't have enough time. I tried booting the Raspberry Pi uh, OS image, which has an x86 build for 32-bit based on Debian 10, which is still in support. The Wi-Fi card wasn't detected. So I thought, okay, I'll look at some Debian distros. And the one I ended up using was Antics, which is... um, incredibly lightweight. 
I did think about using uh, Bunsen Labs, which is the continuation of uh, Crunchbang. But, um, well, it's, you know, not maybe not official continuation, but you know what I mean. Spiritual successor. Yes, that's a better way of putting it, I think. And Antics is <laughs> an odd distribution. It doesn't run System D. It has, I think, four or five window managers installed, and the default is ICE WM. It loaded into 80 megabytes of RAM, so there's plenty to play with. So I thought, okay, this is going well. It comes with a reasonable amount of applications. Firefox is one of them. So I thought, okay, let's try and play a YouTube video. Mm. Now, YouTube mm. will just take the bandwidth of your connection, not the machine you're on, as the kind of watermark of what you're capable of playing. It sounds like a bad time on an Atom N270 already. <laughs> yeah. yeah, which has a TDP of 2.5 watts. Yeah, and it's one core, two threads. In 2008. Yeah. So it tried to load a 1080p YouTube video. <laughs> <laughs> And it was literally a series of uh, still images, like a PowerPoint presentation. And I thought, no, you can't just accept that. So I got the URL and I opened VLC and I changed the maximum resolution to 480p and it worked. I opened it. It plays smoothly. I'm sure it's dropping frames here and there, but it's not that bad. It's definitely watchable. I was watching uh, an interview with the cast of Stranger Things, funnily enough, and that worked. So I thought, okay, it's slightly off the wall, but it's usable. And then I thought, okay, one of my favorite things to put on all machines actually is NC Spot, which is an NCurses version of Spotify, because again, it loads into about 100 meg of RAM. It's very lightweight. It's a terminal implementation of uh, Lib Spotify, but there are no uh, Debian packages. So usually on my 64-bit machines, I'll pull it down. It's written in Rust. I'll build it with cargo. And then you can actually build it into a Debian package. And that's what I usually do. I put it on my NAS. I pull the Debian package onto any machine I want. And then I just do a local install with apt. That's fine. This wasn't the case here. Now, cross-compiling Rust is not something I'm experienced in. And I thought was possibly cheating as well. So I thought, okay, if I wanted this program, let's compile it on this machine and see how it goes. (laughs) So I pulled the uh, Git repository down, got my Rust up uh, set up and uh, pressed go. And then I went on my lunch break for an hour and I came back and it was about halfway through. (laughs) Oh, that's not bad, actually. That's not too bad. I expected worse. It took about two hours to compile it into a 32-bit binary. And I then ran and loaded a track and it crashed. (laughs) (laughs) So I was like, oh, I failed. But that's because uh, Antics doesn't have Pulse audio. It still runs on an ALSA backend. And luckily, there is uh, a Pulse, which will translate the calls from uh, Pulse to ALSA. So you just literally do a pulse NC spot and then it brings it up and it worked and it was fine. General browsing is awful in a web browser. And I did load links, but like Gary said, and hit like, of course you can do that. But if you try and load, like say the Guardian website, you have to page down for ages to get through all the sections. Yeah, that's, I just didn't bother because doing anything useful on links is a waste of time, which is why I switched to Browse. I then actually also booted into Batisera 
with these really old machines, the just enough OS implementations like Libra Elect, Batasera, uh, RetroPie, Lacquer, all of this stuff, it can play SNES games, and it's quite a nice little thing. And and as a as a sort of fun thing, I looked up the dimensions and weight. So it's uh, twenty six point three eight centimeters wide, and the Steam Deck is twenty nine point eight <laughs> centimeters wide. So it's compact to slip into a bag, and. People are still using these machines. I know, Joe, you've spoken about it on Late Night Linux about how netbooks are just totally useless. But I have come across people trying to use these old 32-bit atoms. And to be fair, yes, it's not fun. It's certainly not fun, but it's not unusable. Like if it was the only computer I had and I had the patience, I could, it has an up-to-date distribution of Debian with packages that have security updates, a web browser that is safe to use in 2022. I can watch YouTube videos. Things like LibreOffice run absolutely fine. There are people in the world who are still using these machines and the window of 32-bit support is shrinking with every year. And I did really want to try and get OpenSUSE (laughs) going on it because I feel like it doesn't get much love much of the time from us. But um, I just couldn't, it just wouldn't work. But I did usable things with it. But then funnily enough, because I'd seen that there was a new version of NC Spot, I thought, oh, I better build the 64-bit Debian package to install on my other machines and put it on my NAS. So I went to my work machine, which is an 11th gen i7. I pulled the latest updates to the repo and it built in like two minutes. (laughs) (laughs) So I was like, wow. I mean, I'm just used to this speed, but I'm hoping... If there are people out there listening to this right now, I'd love to hear if like you are genuinely using something this old and this weak as your daily driver and not to be odd, but because that is your machine. Mm. And have you looked at the cost of electricity recently? Well, two and a half watts is uh, not a lot, is it? Well, yeah, because I was going to ask you, Gary, I don't know if you can even get a TDP figure for that machine you were running. I've no idea if it's listed on the Intel CPU (laughs) website anymore. (laughs) That is the thing. It's two and a half watts because it's not doing very much at all. Let's be fair. It doesn't Mm. need the electricity to be running. But I'm thinking of giving it maybe to my nephew who's just been to an, a video game exhibition and shown an interest and if i just put batisera on it and give him a usb controller he'll be able to play games up to snes because this that's what the exhibition was about it was old games so it would still have some use i, I you know i just could not <laughs> carry on using it even though it functions because i have so many other machines that are better The thing that surprised me here was how far 32-bit has fallen since I last used the 32-bit Linux distro, which wasn't that long ago. It was like 1604, I think, the last time I daily drove a 32-bit machine. And it is really, really difficult to get anything working in anger now. Yeah, there's quite a lot of distros like MX Linux and the ones you mentioned, but it's not good enough to have an operating system. You need the applications. Yeah, that was the thing for me is that Everything was fine until I needed an application that was remotely modern, until I needed something like Ansible, until I needed something like Terraform, which are tools that I use every single day and just take for granted that they work. 
And when they weren't there on 32-bit machine, it was really, really painful. Well, I've decided that Gary is the winner here because you used the oldest machine and did the most useful thing with it, I think, out of all of us. Yeah, I mean, none of my infrastructure would be on 2204 now if it wasn't for that Pentium 3 machine. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there you go. Okay, this episode is sponsored by Vulture. Go to getvulture.com slash LAD to sign up and get $200 free credit to use in 30 days. Vulture offers high-performance cloud compute, bare metal, and storage in 25 locations all over the world. You can pick from 12 operating systems, including Windows, or you can bring your own ISO. Vulture's Marketplace offers one-click installation of more than 50 applications and operating systems, including Minecraft and other game servers, VoIP and VPN platforms, content management systems like WordPress, and cPanel. Also, check out their optimized plans, CPU, memory, and storage optimized instances, featuring the latest AMD Epic chips. So go to getvulture.com slash LAD to get you $200 credit and support the show. That's G-E-T-V-U-L-T-R dot com slash L-A-D. Quick bit of admin. Thank you, everyone, who supports us with PayPal and Patreon. We really do appreciate that. You can learn more at linuxafterdark.net slash support. And remember, for $10 or more per month on Patreon, you can get an advert-free RSS feed that includes this show, Linux Downtime, and Late Night Linux. And if you want to get in contact, the email is show at linuxafterdark.net. Dalton, I really want to hear updates on your framework laptop and your Steam Deck. We got a fair bit of feedback from people saying that you moan too much (laughs) and uh, you should be more positive about things. But it turns out that with the framework laptop, things haven't gone that smoothly since we last talked about it. No, that's the reason why I'm on the XPS right now. So, long story short, I had some issues with the framework where my USB hubs that also had video output on them sometimes would just disconnect, and it's usually while I was streaming a game through Parsec. And that's really annoying, because when you're streaming a game and your Ethernet controller, monitor, and peripherals go away, the game doesn't work so well, (laughs) you go down, and then everyone's upset at you for losing the game. (laughs) Especially when it happens about once per hour. So I thought, all right, I'm going to solve this by buying a Thunderbolt dock. How I thought that would fix it, I don't know. Yeah, and they're they're quite a lot more expensive Thunderbolt docks versus just a USB-C thing. I've got a USB-C thing for 25 quid that works perfectly. Well, I say perfectly, except when you unplug USB devices, sometimes it just goes away and you lose your display. But that's kind of expected with a cheap USB dock. Right, so maybe it wasn't the most ridiculous thing to think, right? It's like, it must be my setup that's the problem, right? So I got myself a Corsair TBT-100 dock after doing research and finding out that, you know, it's got a lot of ports, it's got the ports that I needed, and I liked the look of it. Got it here, got it all plugged into my setup. It was right before we recorded episode 17, I think. Nope, we're more than a month into this. It was like episode 16 or 15. And... Plugged in the framework, and only one monitor lit up. I was like, huh, that's weird. So I unplugged that monitor, and then the other one turned on. (laughs) Okay, if I plug this one back in, it didn't turn back on. It's like, oh. So went through the whole spiel, right? You switch the cables around. You switch which ports you're using on everything. You switch the cables out entirely. You know, change the positions of everything. Unplug everything. Plug it back in. Nothing would get two monitors to work at once. So I'm like, 
Ugh. Okay, I'll contact Framework Support about this. And so I sent them a message that was just like, Hey, I got this doc. It's not working right. I've tried it on Ubuntu, Fedora, Windows, so it doesn't seem like a driver problem. It's just always the same behavior. You have any ideas what could be wrong? And the first message they sent back was, Oh, sorry, we don't support third-party peripherals. I was like, what? What do you you don't have first party peripherals you you don't recommend anything for people to buy you <laughs> come back here yeah and a generic thunderbolt dock on a thunderbolt port you would think would just work right well so that's the thing framework doesn't have thunderbolt certification yet and i'm guessing that they never will for the 11th gen motherboards because they just came out with their 12th gen motherboards so obviously they've been working on that and they haven't actually been working on the thunderbolt certification or if they have it doesn't matter anymore because they aren't going to sell it for that long so that's kind of a oh that's a bummer situation so you had a big back and forth with many many messages and they eventually just shrugged and said mm. yeah what I think it is, is that for some reason, the framework is connecting to the dock at 20 gigabits per second, which is not enough bandwidth for both HDMI ports running at 4K60 and the USB 3.0 10 gigabit per second hub that's in it. I'm not running my monitors at 4K60. They're much smaller than that. So there would technically be enough bandwidth, but I don't think this dock is smart enough to know that and only allocate what it needs. Because any machine that I plug it into that connects to it at 40 gigabits per second is fine. That's the M1 Pro MacBook. That's the XPS that from 2018, that's four years older. You know, they work fine. So I think that's the problem. And we kind of sent that back and forth a couple times and they basically decided, no, we don't care. I searched through the framework community and it turns out there's one other person who has had this problem. So if I would have found that post before I found the doc, I would have had a lot less problems. Now, this is a very niche problem that only affects two people seemingly, but you didn't have a very good time with customer support. And surely a tiny company like Framework, that has to be something they're good at if they want to succeed. That's what I think too. And it's something, I mean, I made early adapter products, right? I worked with on Ubuntu Touch for years. We came out with things like the Pine Phone and uh, the Vala Phone. And, you know, those are early adopter products. It's a company trying something for the first time. So I get it. I get that feeling of, I want to fix this for you, but I'm not able to. And honestly, if they would have just said that, I would have got it. But instead it was you know, this is a problem with your doc, it's your problem, that kind of thing, that kind of blaming tone, that it's very difficult to get that kind of tone right over support. And I get it. I get that I bought an early adopter product too. I went back and forth on this with uh, Marius last Friday. Uh, we were kind of talking about, well, it's an early adopter product, but that means that it should either be cheaper than the competition, I paid a lot of money for this thing, or they should do something else better than the competition, which I guess they say is repairability. I don't know if that's enough. I guess it's up to everyone else to decide. All right, and quickly the Steam Deck then. You had complained about the fan noise. My understanding is a software update has been pushed to make the fan slightly less annoying. Yes, so more research on that showed that there are 
at least two different models of fan and probably some manufacturing tolerances involved. That means that some people get a Steam Deck that screams when the fan is on. And I'm not talking like, you know, there's a loud whoosh of air. Like that That's fine, I can deal with that. But a high-pitched screeching that you can hear from across the room that is not coil whine. It is fan noise. And I contacted support about it because my unit does it, and I know that there are units out there that don't. And I go back and forth on whether that's a defect or just, you know, picking the wrong parts and screw you kind of thing. But... In their case, support got back to me and said, hey, we're going to make a software update and let us know if it doesn't help. The software update has come out. It makes the fan quieter, but whenever the fan is spinning, it makes that noise. So I told them it's not working. I got my RMA yesterday. So I'm going to send it back. We'll see what they send back. But generally, it was a very good experience. I wasn't blamed for causing the problems myself. Yeah, I, I built and I saw someone on Twitter who had mentioned that they had had an RMA request fulfilled because of that. Because from what I understand, the, the software update adjusts the fan curve. But if you have one of these screechy whiny fans, that means that the behavior of the fan changes. But once it's spinning up, which it's going to have to do at some point, then yeah, if it's screechy, it's screechy. And, you know, it's it does sound like they accept that and i don't know it's hard isn't it it is a bit disappointing especially did you with with framework did you say i have tried this dock in other machines i have and it's negotiating the correct speed oh yeah absolutely it it seems like it's a specific firmware problem between the framework and the dock that's going to need some troubleshooting and i asked them like hey is there a troubleshooting utility? Do you have some like engineering stuff that I can run on this to give you more information and heard crickets back on that kind of stuff, which I get. That's the kind of support you'd get from the likes of Dell that they're competing with. I bring it up just because you've got the two sides of the support going, haven't you? Because it just feels like Valve have handled it better. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, we'd better get out of here then. We'll be back in a couple of weeks, but until then, I've been Joe. I've been Chris. I've been Gary. And I'm Dalton. See you later. <laughs>